This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Broadcast Church Planting podcast. I just want to tell you about the next hangout that we have coming up at the Broadcast Network. It will be on the 8th of September 2016, 7.30pm UK time, and it will be with Colin Barron speaking on the call to pioneer. If you're interested in participating in this hangout, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash pioneer in order to find out more. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be bringing you a hangout with Martin Charlesworth. Martin heads up the Jubilee Plus organisation, Empowering Churches for Social Action. And Martin will be talking about social justice in theology and in practice. You can find this full hangout, including a Q&A with Martin and notes on everything that he has to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 42. So here is Martin Charlesworth. I've been involved as a church leader um, 25 years in Shropshire in a town called Shrewsbury. Led a church for, those 20, for 20 of those years which focused a lot on social action. As a result of that, in 2012, I was asked by New Frontiers, as it was then, to start an initiative to help capacity build in social action for churches across the country. That led to an initiative called Jubilee Plus, which I now lead. It's now a charity, works with different denominations, capacity building for churches, networking, conferencing, training, teaching, etc. And our vision is to see the church in the UK be a champion of the poor, and a means to healthy communities across the nation. So that's what I do. I do that two days a week and still based in my local church. And Tom has asked me to do, first of all, um, just a little introduction to a kind of theological framework for what we're doing, which, by the way, is incredibly important um, because there's a lot of cultural motivation towards social justice issues in our culture today. A lot of that's really good motivation, but it will never be a sufficient foundation in church for what we do. Um, So it's important to have um, a theological approach. There are many ways you can look at it. So here's my favourite one, which is as follows. Starting with Jesus himself um, and thinking of his own manifesto, uh, Luke chapter 4, Uh, the so-called Nazareth Manifesto. I'm sure you're familiar with it anyway, all of you who are listening in on this. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, um, in a nutshell, I think it's fair to say that within that we have gospel proclamation, we have healing and miracles, Um, We have uh, getting set free from sin, 
from demonic oppression, and also this mysterious ingredient proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Now, what did that mean theologically? What did that mean to the first listeners? Well, it goes back, of course, to Isaiah 61 and the servant of the Lord prophecy there. And uh, the year of the Lord's favour, basically in Jewish thinking, referred back to the even before that, to the Mosaic law and the year of Jubilee recorded in Leviticus 25. So to a Jew listening to Jesus then, they would have thought, wow, Jesus is going to bring in some kind of Jubilee year where land was returned to the families, debts were released, um, bonded laborers got free, uh, etc. So there's some kind of socioeconomic um, blessing that comes with the gospel. That's the implication of that particular manifesto. Now, it's not going to be the law of Moses. It's going to be a New Testament version of that. Incidentally, that's why we call our organization Jubilee Plus. There was a Jubilee in the Old Testament. The big question is, what's the Jubilee in the New Testament? It's a Jubilee Plus. That's my kind of thesis. So if Jesus said, today this is being fulfilled, there's going to be all these dimensions to the gospel. There's a kind of socioeconomic blessing implicit in the coming of God's kingdom. So that's the basic thesis that I start from. Now, when you look into the New Testament, you see that it's never prescribed in terms of laws and exact details, because that's not the way the kingdom of God works. So um, we need to then follow the leading of the spirit in the early church to see what they do about this year of the Lord's favor. What what did it mean to them? Um, And Here's a good way of thinking about it. Have a look at the first church. So we see in the Jerusalem church a very great emphasis on resolving questions of resources, of uh, economic issues, of injustice issues, of poverty issues within that church community. Voluntary sharing of goods, organization to help widows with the uh, food bank of the day, uh, which was uh, recorded in Act 6, i.e. the daily distribution of food. Uh, to use Acts' uh, own words. Um, So we see an incredible um, sense of uh, dealing with economic, social justice type issues, even within the very first church and the very first months of the life of the church after the day of Pentecost. And my my understanding would be this. This is how the Spirit began to lead the Christians, church in in the early days, to... Um, express the year of the Lord's favour, to see that social justice, care for the poor, was very important, starting, incidentally, within the church community, but significantly moving out from the church community. Two dimensions, you need both. You can't just have one. So this would be the background, then, for um, Paul and Peter discussing Paul's mission amongst the Gentile churches as recorded in Galatians 2, verse 10, where uh, Peter was saying, well, look, we're, we're working with the Jews, planting churches in Judea and in the Jewish districts. You're obviously called to the Gentiles. Uh, we're okay with that. It's good to preach the gospel to them. We support you. We give the right hand of fellowship. But, Peter says to Paul, remember the poor. Paul said, no problem. That's the very thing I wanted to do. So they shook hands on it, and off they went. What did that actually mean? What that meant was that Peter, uh, in working with the Jewish churches, in, instinctively 
put an emphasis on remembering the poor as they were planting churches amongst the Jews. And his fear was that Paul would start church planting amongst the Gentiles without that ingredient in those Gentile communities. And he said, no, we can't do that. We can't create a disparity between a church in a different district or nation or socioeconomic group that suddenly says, oh, well, remembering the poor isn't particularly important round here. Peter said, no, we can't do that. Paul said, no, we're not going to do that. So here's an interesting theological foundation then. On the basis of the year of the Lord's favour, as experienced by the early churches, the apostles came to an agreement that remembering the poor, whatever that means, that requires a little bit of explanation, obviously, in different cultures. But remembering the poor was intrinsic to church planting, gospel proclamation, and going from one culture to another. Bear in mind, incidentally, that uh, sociologists will tell us that in any community in the first century, you would probably say those who were on minimal uh, uh, subsistence level or in danger of poverty would probably be about 50% of the population of any community, 50%. That's an important point. So remembering the poor is remembering that 50%. And so Paul uh, later goes on in Galatians 6 to say, um, that we should be doing good to all people, especially the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. So doing good to all people is um, another way of expressing this, remembering the poor, um, especially the household of faith in the sense that what we've got to get it right amongst the poor in the churches in order to have integrity to care for those outside the churches. So there's 10 minutes for you. I hope that's okay, Tom. 10 minutes as promised. Um, so uh, just a theological framework, starting with Jesus, uh, starting in Luke 4, which is a good place to start because it's a kind of declaratory uh, <coughs> position. It's a manifesto position. Looking back to Isaiah 61 and then back to Leviticus 25, which are the reference in historically, and then looking forward with a couple of examples in the early church. So I suggest that's a good framework, and it reminds us that social justice cannot be divorced from an expectation of the miraculous, preaching the gospel, uh, seeking to overcome all the forces of darkness that affect people's lives in all sorts of different other personal ways. So there's a kind of integrated model of mission implied, uh, to use modern terminology to describe uh, the different dimensions that Jesus puts within there. So the second thing then, having said all that, and you may want to come back with questions biblically and theologically, please do. I'm more than happy to um, to do that. And incidentally, just, uh, just to say at that point, some of our teaching from the Jubilee Plus team's point of view and some of my teaching on this um, is available online on the Jubilee Plus website, jubilee-plus.org jubilee-plus.org there's a lot of downloads and audios that you can pick up there with theological paradigms and more explanation of that so the second issue is the what are the kind of cultural conversations or the key cultural connecting points well to most of you listening tonight um they'd be pretty obvious to you um i'm sure and many of you will know more about some of them than than i do here's a here's a few that strike me as prominent ones. One that we focused on in the Jubilee Plus team uh, 
is the question of uh, what we call the myth of the undeserving poor. In fact, my colleague Natalie Williams and I have written a book in, by that name, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor. If you're interested, it's available on Amazon and you, there's a Kindle version as well and an audio book on our website. Now, what we've, uh, what we've identified there is how in our culture sometimes with people in poverty and in the benefit cycle and so forth, um, that there has been uh, a sense of dividing them away from the rest of society in terms of cultural attitudes in the media and politics and sometimes even in the church. And so I think that's a big cultural conversation which has big resonance in terms of the media and some of you may want to talk further about that. Um, here's a second big, big cultural conversation that I think is going to become major in the next few years and that is um, social care, all issues around social care, particularly relating to elderly, disabled, um, it's an enormous uh, challenge for our society with uh, demographic changes and aging population, de declining capacity of local authorities, um, uh, fragmenting of family structures, um, a kind of epidemic of loneliness. Many of you will be fully aware of this, but this is a big, big conversation. I recently spoke to the chief executive of the local authority in our area who said it's a gigantic black hole as far as they're concerned and he wanted a conversation with the churches about their suggested solutions. Um, open conversation, the sort of thing that wouldn't have happened 10 or 20 years ago, but it's happening all over the country and it'll be happening in your part of the country as well, whether you're in an urban context or a rural context, um, north or south, the issues are fairly similar in that area. Um, related to that, incidentally, so we've spoken about the myth of the undeserving poor, stigmatizing poverty, that is, we've spoken about social care. I think there's a third general conversation issue that's very, very important, and that is the declining capacity of local authorities to provide services. And I am amazed at the way that local authorities really want to get in conversation with churches and the voluntary sector in terms of things that they can uh, no longer do. I've spoken to senior people in local authority in different parts of the country. It's the same story, more or less, everywhere. It's a cultural conversation. It's part of our culture now that local authorities' capacity is declining very fast and, as far as we can see economically, pretty permanently. There's no chance of that turning around in the next decade or two, in my opinion. There's a third one. Now, the fourth one is very topical. Immigration. Here we are, recording this post-referendum, post-Brexit. Um, immigration is an increasingly hot topic in our society, and we will undoubtedly be facing an increasing challenge in the next years with um, the stigmatization of immigrant communities, whether they be European immigrant communities or others, in a fresh, with a fresh uh, sharpness, I think, caused by the decision uh, to leave the European Union, which has given a kind of uh, fresh energy to some parts of our culture, which have um, 
uh, which have held racist attitudes in this area. So I think there's a whole network of issues around there um, that are, have always been important, but they are coming very, very sharply to prominence now. It's a key cultural conversation. Where does the church stand? What can the church do? Uh, what issues are rising? You may want to discuss these. I've got plenty more I could say on that. Um, but I see this as a red, uh, red hot topic, immigration in general. And then fifthly, uh, a subsection of that, um, part of the immigration issue, but a very, very important one, is the um, issue of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Now, here we're talking about people moving to our country, not from the EU, uh, by and large, but from the rest of the world. And uh, they're coming in their thousands. Um, I speak to people involved in ministries there, working with refugees and asylum seekers regularly. Their universal prediction is these numbers are going to grow. And the capacity of our nation to deal with them um, psychologically, in terms of human resources, in terms of housing, uh, in terms of cultural acceptance, um, is going to be tested. And my prediction is the church is going to be on the forefront of this in an ever more uh, evident way. So there's five suggestions for you as points of cultural connection. Now, obviously, there are more. And there are some cultural conversations which are subsections of these five that I've mentioned to you. And there are things that you, you think, well, why didn't you put that on the list? Well, simply because Tom only gave me half an hour. So I'm sticking to my time. Um, but those seem to me to be very, very uh, prominent ones. And um, if I could just go back and just make a, 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 a general comment here that affects many of these different issues. Uh, what I have learned through the work I've done with Jubilee Plus is one of the most important um, areas where the church has, a, has a, a, a unique capacity is building community for people and, related to that, imparting to them life skills. Confidence, practical life skills of many types. The more I've worked in different areas, the more convinced I am that this is one of the most important things. Uh, it relates to poverty in general, people on the fringe of society. It relates to um, social care. It relates to immigrant communities in all sorts of different ways. And uh, this kind of life skills deficit is not uh, resolved by uh, financial grants and financial capacity from government is resolved by working with people very closely individually. So I leave that as a passing thought on the cultural conversations issue, which I, some of you may want to pick up. So uh, the third thing that I've been asked to just comment on for the last 10 minutes is how do we connect the two? We have a theological mandate and a theological paradigm based on Christ himself and the early church that seems to be uh, very, very strong biblically. We have many pressing needs in our society. Um, how do we make the connection? And how do we make the connection particularly 
in the light of the fact that we live in a pretty uncertain time now in terms of our political uh, stability post uh, Brexit decision, our economy, and if our economy stumbles, the poorest are the ones who are most vulnerable. Uh, there are many, many issues up for grabs. So how do we make the connections? Well, here are just a few suggestions, which um, I'll, I'll finish my presentation with just to see if this helps you. Uh, I travel a lot around the country uh, in my capacity working for Jubilee Plus. I see a lot of churches in action um, and, and I'm amazed at what I see. It's absolutely fantastic what is going on. <clears throat> um, but what I think I've noticed in the last few years is that particularly since the financial uh, crash in 2008, there's been a sharp increase of church-based social action projects and concern for social justice issues. It's been very marked in some obvious areas like street pastors, food banks, and things like that. But it's more general than that. Um, and secondly, what I've noticed is that people are beginning to notice the church in a fresh way. Here's the paradox. Just as it looked as though we were losing the moral arguments, if I can put it like that, for Christian lifestyle values uh, as generic in our society, it seems like we have an opportunity to win some social arguments. Just as people were writing off the church, uh, it seems that the church has an opportunity to reinvent its image to some extent by being at the forefront of areas that society is finding very, very hard to deal with. And so church-based projects and initiatives are the bridge that connects our culture um, to us and to our theology and to our outlook. Um, obviously, other things do as well, the work of individuals in, uh, in public life and in communities, in, in an individual capacity, in a family capacity. I'm absolutely endorsing all those. But it's the, the things that we specially organize and work on that tend to get noticed by people. And I think a further key to connecting the two is um, doing yeah, good networking um, around the projects and the things we're involved with, is to actually um, really work out who's out there who's interested in what we're doing, who can we work with, who can help us, who can we help, who needs to know. And sometimes we're not very good at that. We're so involved in what we're doing, our heads down, hard work, helping people in real need, that we forget sometimes that we actually need to connect quite widely into our culture. And uh, in our locality, we've done that in all sorts of ways, getting into the voluntary sector networks, working with business, working with housing associations. We've had open days for some of our projects and done some good PR. And I think that is important, not so much in terms of self-promotion, but in terms of building a bridge um, uh, uh, through which, over which people can go and communicate with you 
at a deeper level and with whom you can share. So in terms of connecting the two, it starts, I think, primarily with the church-based activities, initiatives, projects, things we're doing. We need to network around those areas and not just work in splendid isolation if we possibly can. And thirdly, I think relating to civic leaders, political leaders and others is, is a really important thing to do. It's not always easy, but it's getting easier generally in the country because of the changing culture towards uh, these sorts of areas. Uh, quite recently, we had a food bank meeting for our whole county, which we hosted with all the different food banks and the uh, officers from the local uh, council who are responsible for emergency provision. A fascinating meeting, uh, really engaging with leaders. Um, I personally make a policy of going to meet my MP as often as I can. Personally, rather than just writing to them, I go and see them. Um, last week, I spoke at length to my local councillor about things going on. Um, I think a culture of relating to people involved in public policy, whoever they are, um, is really good. Finally, uh, and I haven't said that much about this up until this point, but there is a very important role for advocacy and campaigning. Um, one of my friends heading up a, a big refugee initiative was um, able to speak on uh, national media this week as a result of the uh, political uh, uncertainties and turmoil. Um, there is a place for advocacy in terms of campaigning on different issues nationally. There's a place for advocacy in terms of um, going and talking to those in authority like your MPs. There's a place for advocacy in terms of things that are much uh, more individual level. Let me just give you an example from our own experience. Um, we, in our church, we have a strategic relationship with our local job centre plus. Now, that's not something everyone can achieve, um, and it's, it's not always easy, but um, we've got a, uh, you know, a voice there, and we have on occasion gone to them and said, look, here's one of our clients. We're trying to help get a job through our job club facility. Um, they're having the, this many problems with the way you operate the system, et cetera, et cetera. And so we do advocacy just on a one-to-one on -one level. And I think there is a place for advocacy and campaigning, uh, sometimes on a very big national scale, uh, sometimes just taking the stories and situations of one or two people to the relevant uh, person. And a final point on this is something that we at Jubilee Plus have been working on is that actually research is quite important. So we've been um, developing research projects into what are the churches actually doing. Uh, we've done one on uh, debt relief. We've done one on early years provision. We're currently working on a research project of churches working with um, uh, older people, working with the elderly. Um, and so we're, we're trying to draw some meaningful statistics together to use uh, in public conversations. One of our research papers was quoted by an MP 
in the House of Commons in the last three months in a debate. Um, uh, and research is very, very useful. So we're interested in that. If any of you are interested in contributing to that, um, do contact us, do look at the papers that we have written on behalf of the churches. There is much more that could be said about all these things. All I'm doing is just giving you a few bullet points for our uh, conversation. So connecting the two, lots of things we can do. And I think the final thing I would say on connecting the two is, you know, social action, social justice issues are all part of a kind of integrated mission. So social action shouldn't really be seen too separately from what your church is doing in terms of community life generally, in terms of mission, in terms of community presence, blessing the community, uh, evangelistic outreach, uh, befriending neighbours, all those kind of things as well. And so the closer we keep these things together, the better. That's the responsibility of the church leaders and elders. Um, and that's a constant challenge for many. But I believe in very vigorous social action and social justice work. But I also believe that it's really at its strongest when it's carefully integrated into the church, supported by prayer, overseen by uh, suitably qualified spiritual overseers and pastors and elders. Um, and that's what we need to aspire to. And obviously, uh, all these things have um, uh, how they work out depends on the scale you're operating on. So uh, churches in the wider national charismatic movements obviously vary from churches of thousands to churches of hundreds to churches of less than 100 people. And so I always encourage people to contextualize anything that might be taught in terms of the size of your church. And uh, don't be afraid to do small things well and not try and do big things that are beyond the capacity of what you can do. Don't try and copy churches with resources far beyond what you have available to yourself. If you start small and you're faithful with that, the likelihood is that you will find opportunity to multiply things as time goes on. Well, we hope you found that helpful, inspiring and practical. Remember, to get all the notes on everything that Martin had to say and access to the Q&A with Martin, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 42. And remember, our next hangout, the 8th of September, 7.30pm UK time, Colin Barron speaking about the call to pioneer. And you can find out more about that hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org dot org slash pioneer.